you can go ahead, make your way back to your seats. That would be great. A couple of things here before I get started. I want to um, I want to say that uh, this past Wednesday I had the opportunity to go down with a friend to Wilmington, and I want to encourage you to go. I want to encourage you to do exactly what that video said. Our life group is already scheduled for a day to go down east, and we haven't gotten our actually where we're going to be working, but we've set aside the date we're going to go. We've got a Saturday day that we're going. We've got a, a day during the week that we're going, and I want to encourage you, if you're in a life group, to set aside a day. Whoever can come, come and just go and help people. They need a lot of help, and this is going to be for a long time. We're literally two hours away from the coast, and I think it's our responsibility to do that, so hopefully you'll be able to do that and get away and help some folks uh, that are in need. I see a lot of some of you guys this morning that are like, uh, why the, the ladies are away on their women's retreat, so there's about 65 ladies on this women's retreat over in Blowing Rock, and so I see some very relieved dads. I said, I will probably go ahead and tell you right now that I personally get the Dad of the Year award because last night I took my kids to CeCe's. What says gluttony more than CeCe's pizza? So we went to CeCe's. Haven't been there in forever, and boy, that was, that was an experience. Uh, <laughs> That was an experience. Another sermon, another day, okay? So we're going to jump right in. You, you have, uh, if you remember, we've been in the book of Acts really since October. Last October, we started a series titled, You Will Be. And we were there from October until right around the 1st of May. We finished our study in the first part of the book of Acts. And now we're going to jump into the second part of the book of Acts starting here today. If you, if you remember the book of Acts, really written by uh, Dr. Luke, who, who is a physician. He's an, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the eyewitness accounts of what's happened in the book of Acts. And we really kicked off the theme verse of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, make sure we understand the Greek word for that is martyros, which is martyr. So it has a very strong connotation to it in the original language. And it says, you will be my witnesses, meaning you possibly could die for your faith when you share this message in the original language and as it was given. And, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that's sort of, that is the jumping off point right now of the book of Acts as we've been studying actually since last October. And of course now we're in a seven week series and we're going to go through the second part of the book starting with Acts 15 this morning. Now the title of this section is called You Will Go. And we, you will be, was the first part. And now the second part is you will go. And so really what I want us to do is I want us to sort of, before we jump into Acts 15, is I want to remind us what we have already uncovered so that we can know really the context of why Acts chapter 15 was written. Why was it written? Why, why do we have this information? Why should we study it as we're going to do today? And so a couple of things that are going on right now. We understand that Jesus was absolutely preaching to the masses and he grabbed a, a group of 12 of ragtag disciples and apostles and he poured his life into them and they were fishermen, they were not blue collar. If I, I grew up in the Northeast, if I would associate something to you, I would say these folks right now are from Buffalo, New York. That's like blue collar, all blue collar, just excited about who they are. The weather is bad, the situations are bad, but man, they are fighting through it. Never been there before? Well, 
I've been in that area before. That area is a tough place to live. And so these guys are not the PhDs, the educated folks of society. And, and, and they were given really two things. The first thing that they were given is they were given Jesus who stood before them and said, and said, I am the Messiah. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And he declared that, he spoke that, he preached that, he lived that. And he said, yes, and I'm going to go to a place that you don't know. They were confused as to what happened because here's what Jesus said. He said, I am the Messiah. And here's what he gave them. He gave an empty tomb to prove that he was the Messiah. So he took this ragtag group of disciples and he said, I'm going to give you this truth. The resurrection of myself demonstrates to you that I'm not simply a way, but I'm simply the way. That's what he gave to him. In addition, what he gave to him, he says, I'm not going to just leave you all by yourself. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And so one pastor has said, the God, inside, the God inside you is better than the God beside you. They were all upset that Jesus was going to be leaving. And he says, no, no, it's better that I should go. Because when I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And God's presence is going to be in you unlimited. You will do far more than you could ever ask or imagine when I am in you, working through you, and using you. And then so he says, I'm giving you the empty tomb. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and now I want you to know, I want you to go everywhere, and I want you to tell everybody who I am. I want you to go everywhere with this message. And then he said, and by the way, I'm leaving. He's gone. He leaves. He's coming back. Amen? Come on, that's good news. we got to say that now. Okay? Support your pastor this morning. So, so here's what he's doing. He's, we have the empty tomb. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a message that we need to share. And then all of a sudden he says, I'm going, but I'm coming back. And I need you to do what I want you to do. And so here where we are, that God to this day has been raising up his church. We're a small part of that process. I like to say a small part of something much bigger than ourselves. We're a small part. Northwest Community Church. So he's been doing that, and he's saying, hey, listen, Northwest Community Church, wherever you are, all the way on California to the United States of America, everywhere and in between, what I want you to do is I want you to go out with this message, armed with the knowledge that the tomb is empty, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have a message to share. And that's what we hear in the book of Acts. So the first part is, you will be. The second part is, you will go. And it's over the, seven, the next seven weeks that we really want to understand what does it mean to go. As we jump into specifically Acts 15, we need to really understand the, the context. And so what was being attacked was the beautiful message of the gospel. And to make sure that we're all on the same page this morning, I just want to do a simple, simple exercise of just making sure that we define this word gospel. You've heard us say this many times. Actually, every time someone speaks up here from this stage, we're really telling you the same thing. We might use different illustrations from time to time, but we're really telling you the same thing, that Jesus is everything, that he's everything. And so we take a look at the word gospel, and the word gospel means good news. In order to appreciate the good news, we have to really understand the bad news. The bad news is, is that we are not broken, we are dead. The bad news is we're not broken, we're dead. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
we need someone to come and wake us up, and that person was sin, and that's Jesus. And so the good news is that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and the, the, the best news about the good news is, is that if you call on his name, you can be saved. If you call on his name, you can have life. Take it from last week. You can be a tree that's planted by the water and not a shrub. And so here's the message of the gospel. And then this is what's going on in chapter 15. That message was being deviated from. That message was being compromised. That message was being added to. And the power of that message is going to cause a conflict within the church that they must stand up and against. And so I'm going to go ahead and read. Now it's 32 verses that we're going to cover today. And so here's what's going to happen. I just want to really telegraph the past, to use a, bas a basketball analogy. I am going to read a couple of verses, maybe one, maybe two, maybe ten. And then we're going to talk about them. And at the very end, we're going to make three points of lessons that we can learn about how we will go in unity because of the gospel. So let's go ahead and jump in at uh, verse 15 so we understand sort of what's going on here. Okay? So, the gospel has gone forth. The message is going out. You have really two groups of people. You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles if you really want to sort of uh, break it down that way. Here it is, verse 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And you're probably sitting there going, oh, that's your opening verse, Matt. Yeah, that is. <laughs> Here we are right here. That's the, that's the problem that's within the church. Here's what's taking place. They were adding to the gospel to the Gentiles. The Jews had been raised in this, this system for so long. The Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. The Jews looked at the Gentiles and said, in order for you to fully become a follower of Christ, then you must be circumcised. A lot of the first, first Christians were Jews. And they were raised in, in the Jewish Old Testament law. And this was a situation that they was a sign for, for to 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 a sign for people to know that they were a follower of God. And so you have all of these Jewish Christians. And so I just need you to know right now that, that is that's not the message of the gospel. That's not the message of the Bible. You know that, and I want to remind you of that. It, we, you've heard me say this before up here that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the entire message of the book of Galatians. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The Judaizers were coming in and they were adding food laws and circumcision and all of this. And then Paul comes in, writes them a letter to rebuke them that you are not taking, you're, you're not going to add to what is perfect. And so here's the problem that the early church is, is facing right now. And so this is not the gospel. You see, in, in, in the Mosaic law, there are 613 laws according to the Mosaic law. One of those laws is circumcision. I heard one pastor say that the new members class was made up of all women. And the guys were in the car. That's what he said. So verse 2, here's what it says in verse 2. Let's go on as we continue. So here we have that we find out that there are a bunch of, of Jews that were coming to the Gentiles and saying, you must be circumcised in order to really show that you are saved. And then verse 2, here it comes. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, 
Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. Stop right there. Here's what you have. Remember who Paul is. He declared himself in Philippians that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, that there was no Jew that was better than he was. He hears what these Jews are telling the Gentiles, and he stands up and rebukes this message. I cannot be quiet. Because Paul, more than anybody, knows that your freedom is at stake when you are changing this message. Nobody knew that better than Paul because, listen, he was on the other side. He was walking in the, in the law and trying to keep those laws. And so here he finds out that the, Gen, that the Jews are telling the Gentiles and what they must do in order to be saved. And Paul, it says that there was no small dissension. That means he was pretty ticked off. And it says that Paul and Barnabas, listen, the Barnabas is known in the scriptures as the son of encouragement. I can tell you right now, he was not encouraging them in this, in this belief. So Paul and Barnabas and some others stood before the apostles and, and were talking about this very issue, this deviation of the message of the gospel. So the church leaders gathered together. Maybe sometimes that might be analogous to a denominational structure where they talk amongst themselves about, hey, what, what, what are we going to do here? Verse 3, let's pick it back up in verse 3. And so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they, welcomed by, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done. And I need to let you know this. I cannot read this text without thinking of my father-in-law. And usually he's here on Sunday mornings, but this weekend he's in Charlotte with my brother-in-law. Phil Qualls was a pastor of Apex Baptist Church for 27 years, and nine of those years I got to work under him. Many of you know that, that his wife died several, uh, almost a year and a half ago, and then he has uh, been suffering from brain cancer. And uh, it is stable. But I want you to see this, that when I came to Apex Baptist Church on staff, I was, in, uh, I was the minister of evangelism on staff. And so here's what took place one particular day that actually turned into a tradition that makes me think of him when I read what's going on in this text. You have Paul and Barnabas that are talking about all that God had done. And it says that there was great joy brought to the brothers. So I remember one situation where I got a phone call and, and Phil was in his car. He was on a cell phone and I was like, hello. He said, he said first thing he said to me, he said, hey man, I got to ask you a question. Did you hear him? I was like, hear who? Hear what? He said, did you hear the angels rejoicing? And I'm going, what? He said, Matt, Luke 15, 10 says, the angels rejoice when one sinner repents. He said, I want to let you know something, that I sat in front of a man who said he did not know Jesus, but he wanted to, and he gave his life to Jesus, and God saved him right in front of me. And I just want you to know, have you heard the angels? Because they're screaming, and they're praising him. That, um... That became a tradition for us. I'd call him. <laughs> I'd call him on the phone and I would say, did you hear him? Because the angels are screaming because of one person who comes to faith in Christ. So here we've got Paul and Barnabas and some others that are standing before the early church and they're declaring what God had done. And it says there was great joy. There was great joy. They had a front row seat to seeing what this message had done. And they were so upset that there was an attempt to change that message because they knew that by changing that message would enslave you and enslave them. And so they were furious at that. 
And here's what they come down in verse 5. Verse 5 says this. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up. Oh, here's a conflict now. They rose up and they said, it is necessary to circumcise them and in order for them to keep the law of Moses. And so again, 613 laws, it is necessary. You have to do this to be saved. This is incredibly dangerous. I want to read you this quote. The Mosaic law, both the moral law and the ritual law, was given to us not so that by them we might be saved, but that by them we would realize in it there is no salvation. It was not given so that we would be saved. It was given to realize that there is no salvation in it. There is salvation in me. Verse 6. I know we're going to 32. We'll speed it up. Hang with me. Verse 6 says this. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate. And it says, Peter stood up. Listen to me. Don't miss that. I want that to be a measure of grace for you today. Because most of us sometimes have had a situation and we did not stand up. And Peter had an opportunity to stand up. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And just a few chapters later, he denied Jesus three times. And so here it is. Now, we see Pentecost, the sermon that was preached at Pentecost, was preached by Peter. We see that Peter went to Cornelius' house, and he preached to the first Gentile convert. And his whole house came to faith in Christ. And so Peter, listen, here's what he does. He gets another chance, and he stood up. And I'm hoping that that will be a measure of grace to you and I armed with this message to say, if I get another chance, I'm going to stand. If I get another chance, I'm not going to sit down and I'm not going to spectate. I'm going to participate in the greatest mission that's ever been known. And I'm going to be involved in that. Peter stood up. Let the grace that God gave him to stand, even when he sat earlier, motivate you to do the same. May it motivate us to do the same. Okay, here's what Peter said. And he said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you. That by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and they would believe. Verse 8. And God, who knows their heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Verse 9. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed, cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Verse 11, he closes the door right here. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. That's what he says right there. This is Peter standing up before them, getting an opportunity. Here's what he says. They will be saved just as we were. Peter is looking at them and going, hey guys, I, I have a message. I need to talk to the Gentiles, but I need you to know I was raised a Jew, okay? And I need you to know something that my forefathers and myself, I was not able to keep all these 613 laws. So why in the world are we now looking at them and saying, now I need you to do it if we can't do it? Why are we doing that? And so what he screams to them louder than anything in the world because of verse 11, it is that not by works, it is not by religion, it is by the finished work of Jesus that we are saved because religion enslaves you and Jesus saves you. Religion enslaves you and Jesus saves you. One of the greatest dangers to, your, to our joy in the Christian life and in our effectiveness in this mission is religion. Because religion says you do and you are accepted and Jesus says I've done, come. 
Religion is based off of fear. And the relationship with Jesus is based off of love. And Peter and Paul and, and all the others are coming forward and they're saying this so boldly to them right now. Don't go back. Don't drift. Don't deviate. It's so good. And it's beautiful that it comes from these folks because they were on the other side. Now, verse 12. And all of the assembly fell silent. The Greek word for that phrase is mic drop. Okay? That's what it says in the original language. And <laughs> maybe, what, I think it might say mic drop, walk off the stage. But I, I'll just stick with mic drop. Okay? We'll just stay there. All right. So mic drop. And it says, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Verse 13. And after they finished speaking, James replied, James is the half-brother of Jesus. What kind of other reference do we need at this time than the half-brother of Jesus? Now, he was a little slow in coming around, but he had come around. And so Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, stands up, and this is what he says. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take for them a people for his name. And with this, the word of the prophets, he's actually quoting Amos and Jeremiah, agree, just as it is written, verse 16, after this I will return, look into the promise, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, listen to 17, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by now my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. What he's saying is that the prophets have declared that this message, this message that you ascribe to is also for the Gentiles. And then it just comes into a beautiful culmination in verse 19. Look at verse 19. Therefore, remember when we ask what it's there for, you understand where I'm going. It's what was just said. All the stuff that was just said. So here's my judgment. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Let that be our statement, Northwest Community Church. Let that be a demonstration of who we are. Let that statement be true. Let us as Northwest do nothing that gets in the way of having people come to faith in, in Jesus. And so here's what's going on. They need to wrestle with some things too. So the issue is of salvation has really been nailed down and laid down. And now they're going to come over and they're going to talk about just how do we not interrupt fellowship with one another? How do we not interrupt fellowship with one another? I have a quote for you right now. It's, the Jerusalem Council then proceeded to give four rules that Gentile Christians should live by. These were not rules that the Gentiles must follow in order to be saved. Rather, the rules were to build harmony between Jewish and Gentile Christians in the first century. The four rules of the Jerusalem Council decided upon were that Gentile Christians should abstain from food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and blood. These inst the instructions were not intended to guarantee salvation, but to promote peace within the early church. Let's take a look at verse 20, what it says. But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. 21. From ancient generations, Moses has had in every city these who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And so here's where he is. I, I'm just going to give you an analogy right now. I would put this in the category of, I'm going to give you an example, alcohol. 
Okay, there are people right now that would enjoy a good beer, a bourbon on rocks, wine, not from a box. And, and there, let me just basically understand something to you. I had the belief growing up that if you drank alcohol, the best you could be was a JV Christian. You couldn't be varsity. That was nothing to do with my parents. Nothing. It had to be with, if you drink, then you are less spiritual. Here's what I, I need us to understand, just as an example and as an illustration here. There are some that struggle with alcohol, so out of respect for them and fellowship in harmony, not causing them to stumble, then you would say, no, I'm not going to in their presence. Because the Bible is very clear. There's nothing wrong with a beer, a glass of wine. The, the issue is, is, this is my statement. If, if you start feeling the alcohol, you've gone too far. Because you are unable, unable to be led by God's spirit. Do we enjoy that? but all in moderation. And so here's what's going on right now. The issue of salvation has been nailed down. Here's the issue. The issue is fellowship with one another. Do I cause them to stumble? The Jews have been living in this way for so long. For them to sit down with Gentiles who are eating or maybe exercising their freedom that they do not have, then they would sit there and say, oh, that can cause a harmony issue, conflict issue of us being brothers and sitting together. Right, we're going to close off the chapter and we've got three lessons. Here's what it is. Verse 22 says this, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with, Barnabas and, with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. 23, with the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we have gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, according having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. 26. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the word martyros in Acts chapter 1. Risk their lives. Verse 27, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood and from what has been strangled into sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and have gathered the congregation together. They delivered the letter, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And so our statement this morning is, you will go and we will go in a unity around the gospel. Three points I want to make to you as we finish here. Number one, adding to the gospel subtracts the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Greek. And so here's what we're sitting here saying right now, is that Paul and Barnabas and Peter and Silas and all the ones that were listed right over here, we're all saying that this message was so beautiful and so profound and so good. Why in the world would we deviate from it? Don't allow us to deviate from it because if we deviate from it, it will disrupt our unity. 
in the mission that we're left here to accomplish. And so adding to the gospel subtracts the power of the gospel. 613 laws. And Peter said to us, I can't even live by those and neither could my forefathers. And remember, those 613 laws, as I said before, were a reminder that you need a savior that you can have. So live in truth. And let's not add to it. It is beautiful. Number two, internal transformation must be our focus, not external conformity. So they took the message and they were adding to it. Number two, what they were doing is they were saying, oh, in order for you to be saved, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised and do this, 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 and this. And I want us here at the church, we want you at the church, we, we want to be overwhelmed by seeing the depths of your soul radically changed by this message every single day. And so a lot of times what we do is we attack behavior over internal transformation. And that is incredibly, incredibly dangerous for our joy and our effectiveness. I'm going to read you a quote right now. Here's what it says. I believe this came from Tim Keller. It doesn't matter how beautiful the house is if the foundation is broken. Has anybody had to deal with that mess yet? If your foundation is broken, your pretty walls crack. Your ceiling falls in. The house becomes unusable. It becomes imperative that we anchor ourselves in what is true and what is right in the gospel and that we don't drift from it ever. I know there are a thousand questions we have. What about the dinosaurs? I understand that. But I'm telling you what you need more than you need to understand what happened to the dinosaurs is the beautiful gospel. Number three, last one. We should not trouble those who turn to the Lord. I told you this earlier that I desire and want us to be a church that does not make it difficult for people to understand and hear Jesus. Even the way that we teach on Sunday, we don't want to make it difficult for them to understand. And so I would even say this right now as I would sit there and say, let us not get in the way of those that are from a different race. I'll say that again. Let us not get in the way of those that are from a different race and let us not get in the way of those that are from a different political party, whether you're Democrat or Republican. Let us not get in the way of, for you to hear this beautiful message and understand and not deviate from it or add something to it. We should not trouble those who turn to God. And let us, because with God all things are possible, let us not get in the way of any Duke fan who wants to come to Jesus <laughs> for the glory of our God. Let this statement be true. Let this statement be true. You will go in unity for the glory and fame of his beautiful name and let us never add anything to it that would disrupt our unity and cause conflict. The message is beautiful. Let's go. Let's pray. God, you are so wonderful and so beautiful. I am honored to be able to stand up in here right now and herald and proclaim this beautiful message. It has affected me and it has affected a lot of people in here today. And Lord, when we add to what is perfect, we subtract from the power. Don't ever let us do that. Keep us close. 
Keep us clean. Keep us pure. Keep us humble. Keep us open and teachable. At the end of the day, God, keep us unified. Let Northwest Community Church never deviate from this message. And I pray your Holy Spirit would fill our elders and our staff so that we would never even think about such things. You are good. There is no one like you. I love you. For your beautiful name that I pray. Amen.